uh, this message that I'm about to uh, present, this information, I call this message an old earth or a global flood because that's what it comes down to. Uh, is the earth millions and billions of years old like everyone's told today? And you need to realize that's the foundation of secular humanism, millions of years. That's the reason they put this out all the time. Or was there a global flood? And that's what we're about to show. You can actually make your own decision at the end of this as to what you want to put your faith in. Um, but this is probably the uh, second most, one of the most important teachings that we have. Uh, another one that is extremely important is 50 Facts versus Darwinism in the textbooks. Is, and that's one of my favorite ones to give as well. We'll do that tomorrow night after we talk about dinosaurs tomorrow uh, early evening. But let's go ahead and get into the age of the earth issues because Jesus said, if I have told you of earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? What has Jesus just said? If I have told you of earthly things, things you can test, study, and observe, things you can hold in your hands, and you won't even believe those things, well, how in the world are you going to believe in spiritual things, in heavenly things that you can't test, study, and observe? For the last 150 years, and this only came up in the last 150 years, the key issue seems to be how old is the earth? And my friends, the age of the earth in itself doesn't matter. The issue, though, is that old earth beliefs put death before Adam, and that's really the key issue with the age of the earth issues. Let me explain why. Let's, I'm going to cover these foundational issues again because there's some folks here that haven't seen this. And if you don't understand the foundational issues involved, you won't see why it matters. The biblical foundation is laid down in the first and third chapters of the book of Genesis. This is where Moses tells us God created a perfect universe. It was perfect. No death, no evil, no suffering. It was perfect. Have you ever had a scoffer ask you about, well, how, do, how can it be a loving God in a world full of death and suffering like we live in today? In fact, a 10-year-old girl was hit by a drunk driver in Phoenix, Arizona and killed. This letter came to the letter, uh, in the letter of the editor's section. Let the clergy explain what their so-called God's plan was for this poor child. This is proof positive there is no loving God. Now, where is the biblical response? Because this is one of the key scofferly questions uh, Christian kids will get hit with their first week in college. Uh, where's the biblical answer to this question? Well, it's right there in the book of Genesis. You see, God didn't create the world the way it is today, full of death, evil, and suffering. What happened to it? Adam's original sin. Adam's original sin brought on the curse and corrupted God's creation, allowing death, evil, and suffering to enter. This is not God's plan for us for eternity. Jesus will give us a new heaven in the coming future where there will be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, where the lion will eat straw like the ox and the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And there will be no more death and suffering, foods, food plants were the food source in the original creation they'll be the food source yet again now from a christian standpoint original sin is more important though because it was original sin remember adam walked in the garden with god but original sin separated us from god requiring that we be redeemed with him 
with the first promise of the coming Redeemer given in Genesis 3, verse 15, where we're told the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. Since the seed comes from the man, we've just been told the coming Redeemer will be born of a virgin. And that, my friends, is the whole foundation for the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman born of the virgin, who suffered and died in our place. So if we but believe in him, accepting him as Lord and Savior, we're redeemed with him for eternity in heaven. Will there be no more death, pain, suffering, tears, etc. Now Moses also told us that God judged man's sin once already with a flood of waters that covered all the high hills under the whole heaven. Oh, that would be a global flood, right? And if there had been a global flood, I think the evidence would be overwhelming. I'd expect the outer crust of the earth to be made up of sedimentary layers that have been laid down by water. And I'd expect those layers laid down by water to be full of, of millions and billions of dead things that were drowned and buried so quickly they didn't even have time to rot away or get eaten by scavengers. And what, does, what do we find today? Well, we can test, study, and observe it all day long. And the outer crust of the earth averages a mile deep of sedimentary layers laid down by water full of billions of dead things that were drowned and buried so quickly they didn't have time to rot away or get eaten by scavengers. We call those things fossils today. Exactly what would be there if God had judged the world with a flood that covered all the high hills under the whole heaven. Now the Bible says, prove all things and hold fast that which is good. Sometimes people will say to me, you're not supposed to prove the Bible's true. Well, we're supposed to have faith, and no matter how much proof we show you, we're still going to have to have faith. But actually, God says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. You see, God wants us proving things. You see, real science, based on observable evidence, is our best friend. It's the worst enemy of billions of years leading to Darwinism. But secularists own the schools and the media, and they teach their religious belief as if it were science. But see, real science is knowledge derived from the study and testing of observable evidence. Things have to be testable, studyable, observable for the results to be scientific in nature. Now, operational science has led to many great improvements from laptops to cars to space shuttles to penicillin. Real science has improved our lives greatly. But there's also historical science. And that's where you take things you can observe today and you take the results and you try to extrapolate those results on things you can't test, study, and observe. Much of biology is historical science. Much of geology is historical science, trying to extrapolate backwards on things you can't test, study, and observe. I mean, you can't test, study, and observe the past, can you? Absolutely. You know, the Bible foretells in 2 Peter, they'll come in the last days scoffers. You ever see any scoffers? I run into them all the time. And these guys like to say all sorts of crazy things like, I won't believe the Bible unless you can scientifically prove it's true. Well, someone said that to my wife, Joanna, about two weeks ago. We were up in Idaho, and she was running our resource table, and this guy came up and said, I won't believe your husband or the Bible until he can scientifically prove God's word is true. Joanna vaults over the table and grabs this guy in a headlock 
and starts twisting his nose back and forth, and there's a huge commotion. I go running down the aisle. I get there just as she lets the guy go, and he stands up. His nose is bleeding profusely, and he says, Joanna, why did you do that to my nose? And she said, son, I just want to prove to you the Bible is scientifically accurate because in Proverbs we're told the ringing of the nose will bring it forth blood. And you can test, study, and observe it all day long if you want to. Hmm. Pastor Dan, I take no responsibility for the youth groups over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> but the Bible goes on that these scoffers are going to be willingly ignorant, are going to be choose to be ignorant that by the word of God, the world that was being overflowed with water perished. Scoffers are going to deny the global flood in the last days. Well, why in the world would they deny the global flood? We see the secular or the humanist worldview, which has been taught as if it were science for the last 50 years in our schools, and it's not science, it's their religious belief, is based on, think about this, it's based on the exact same sedimentary layers of rock laid down by water. You see, it's not a matter of who has the evidence. Think about it. We all have the exact same evidence. It's not a matter of evidence. It's a matter of which worldview you interpret the evidence through. Now, see, I look at sedimentary layers of rock laid down by water. I say, wow, global flood, God's word is true. Praise the Lord. Or you can look at the exact same evidence and say, wait a minute, those sedimentary layers of rock laid down by water didn't form in a flood. There was never a flood. They deny the flood, as foretold in the Bible. Oh, no, no, they formed slowly over millions and billions of years of death and suffering as you slowly evolved without God. Now think about this. The biblical message is in the beginning God created the first five words of Scripture. Jesus says in Mark and in Matthew, man was made, male and female, since the beginning. The biblical message is man's sin brought death into the world, separating us from God, requiring a redeeming Savior to die on a cross to redeem us with him. Old earth beliefs were deliberately designed to put death before Adam. They teach, oh no, no, Jesus got that all wrong. It was billions of years of death and suffering that brought you into the world. Well, that means, hey, there was never any perfect creation. There was never any original sin corrupting some perfect creation and bringing death into the world. No, it was death that brought you into the world. And this means, with no separation, there's no need of redemption. And that's what old earth beliefs are all about. No matter how well-intentioned you may think they are, if you're a theistic evolutionist, a progressive creationist, a gap theorist, any belief made up to try to fit death and suffering of millions of years into God's word put death before Adam. I used to be a theistic evolutionist. I'm not here to attack anyone with those beliefs. I'm here to help you just like somebody helped me. So you can drop those beliefs over the information I'm going to show you here. See, the, my, the Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Did you know today that 85% of Christian children are leaving the church by the age of 20? Almost 9 out of every 10. Why? Well, they've just gone through 15, 16 years of schooling and saying that, hey, you evolved over millions of years of death and suffering. In fact, 
think about what this Darwinian biologist and world-renowned atheist said. Think about what he says here. The revolution against Christianity began when it became obvious Earth was ancient rather than having been created 6,000 years ago. He says the revolution against Christianity began with the old Earth beliefs that only started becoming popular 150 years ago. And it's almost wiped Christianity off the face of Europe and in the United States of America. Do you think the age of the earth matters? Yeah. Well, the secularists do. It's their whole foundation. And look, he goes on to state, this finding was the snowball that started the whole avalanche against Christianity. And he's absolutely right about that. He was wrong about the age of the earth, but he's absolutely right that that is the key issue. You see, I can go and talk on a college campus and do our 50 facts in Darwinism. Oh, and they'll get mad and they'll launch accredited classes attacking me and biblical creation. But if I go and talk about the age of the earth, I have to have bodyguards around me. They know where the foundation is. Think about this. Jesus said, take heed that no man deceives you. So I'm going to try to, to deceive everybody. Now, it's only going to take a minute, but I want to plant a wrong idea in your head, and it, it's going to show you how, if you start out with a wrong idea, how far off you're going to be in everything else you think. Now, if you know this answer to this, don't say it out loud. I want everyone to really think about what you would do in this person's position. Think about what you would do. A man left home jogging, and he jogged for ways and turned left, and he jogged further, turned left, jogged further, turned left, and jogged back toward home. But as he was jogging home, he noticed there were two masked men ahead waiting for him. So what should the jogger do? I mean, what would you do in his position? Would you turn and run the other way? Yell for help? Dial 911? What would you do? And here's the point I want to make. If your first thought is wrong... All of your following thoughts are going to be way off base. You will be totally deceived. So let me unbrainwash you here. A man left home jogging. He jogged for a little ways, and he turned left, and he jogged further, turned left, jogged further, turned left, and jogged back toward home. But as he was jogging home, he noticed that there were two masked men ahead waiting for him. A catcher and an umpire. So what should he do? He should slide, right, absolutely. But if your first thought was wrong, man, you were way out in left field, weren't you? You know, and the fact of the matter is, you can tell a six-year-old anything, and they're going to believe you, as they should be able to. And for the past hundred or so years, we've been telling our six-year-olds, evidence certifies planet Earth is more than four billion years old, putting death and suffering long before man supposedly evolved from a wet rock. Well... This is what kids are taught as if it were science and have been for a long time now. You've probably heard of carbon dating. It's one of the most popular of isotope dating methods. It's used on organic remains, plant and animal remains. Now, carbon-14 is what they measure in carbon dating. Now, carbon-14 is manufactured in the atmosphere, and during the process of photosynthesis, plants uh, take in CO2 that contain trace amounts of carbon-14. So they get carbon-14 in the plant tissue. Now when an animal eats a plant or breathes, they get carbon-14 in them. In fact, we all have trace amounts of carbon-14 in us. Now the few scientists that deal with carbon dating, remember there's 200 branches of science, uh, the few scientists that actually deal with the uh, old earth dating methods pretty much agree 
that carbon-14 decays away and should be completely gone in measurable amounts in less than 80,000 years. Some say 40,000 years. But we're going to be generous and say it'll be there for 80,000 years. Now, since basically they take what's in the ground and compare it to what's in the atmosphere, which they think is not changing much, and they say, well, it's taken this long for this much to decay away. So the less carbon-14 in the item, the older it's going to date because it decays away over time. But they can't date something more than 80,000 years because there wouldn't be any carbon-14 left, right? It's only good for a few thousand years. So if someone tells you they've carbon-dated something a million years or a hundred million years, you can rest assured they have no clue what they're talking about. However, the amount in the atmosphere is not in equilibrium. It changes, and the carbon-dating method, therefore, does not work. Living penguins dated 8,000 years old. Living snails dated 27,000 years old. They do not work. In fact, this from the Anthropological Journal of Canada. The troubles of the carbon dating method are undeniably deep and serious. Half of the dates are rejected. There are gross discrepancies. And the accepted dates, you know, the published dates that you get to see, they're actually selected dates. Selected dates? You mean they just pick the date they want something to be? Absolutely. Where do they pick the date from? We'll get to that in just a moment. Let's talk about the other uh, isotope dating methods. Most of the isotope dating methods are used on igneous rock. They think the melting process sets the rock back to zero from an isotope standpoint. There's about 40-some-odd different methods, and they all are a measurement, really, of radioactive decay, not of time. Potassium-40, they all work the same, so let's look at potassium-argon dating. It's one of the most popular. It's a scientific fact that potassium decays into argon. That is a scientific fact. It's a scientific fact that we can actually measure the rate of decay from potassium to argon, even though it's in billions of years of time. And it's a scientific fact we have the equipment to measure the amount of potassium and the amount of argon in a rock. That's a scientific fact. And that's where the science comes to a screeching halt and wild guesses that they call assumptions corrupt the integrity of the dates and the ages given. For example, they're basically measuring the amount of argon and saying it took this long to form, right? Well, aren't they assuming that the rock had no argon in it when it first formed? If they're measuring the amount of argon and saying it took this long for this much argon to form, what would happen if there was argon in the rock when it first formed? It's going to date millions or billions of years older than it really is, right? They're assuming their rock laid there for their millions and billions of years and was never contaminated with argon. Argon's a gas. It can pass from one rock to the next relatively easy. Heat, pressure, earthquakes, water running over rocks can all cause contamination. They have to assume their rock laid there for their millions or billions of years and was never contaminated. How would they know that? That destroys the dating method all by itself, these two. They assume the decay rate's always been the same, and they assume God had nothing to do with anything, which biases the method before it starts. If any one of their wild guesses is wrong, the dates will be off by millions or billions of years. The odds are all of their guesses are wrong. In fact, rocks that we actually know formed 
between 1980 and 1986 at Mount St. Helens were dated from 500,000 to 2.8 million years old. Rocks that we know formed in the New Zealand lava flow between 1949 and 1975 dated from 270,000 to 3.5 million years old. Rocks that we know formed in a Hawaiian lava flow 200 years ago were sent to 12 labs for dates. The youngest age came back 325 million years old. And the oldest age came back at 3 billion years old. They weren't even 200 years old at the time. So let me ask you something. Where do they come up with the 4.6 billion years that they certify the earth to be? From dating meteorites. And they don't know when or where the meteorites work. So one thing about the radiometric dating, when we date rocks and we know the age, they don't work. When we date rocks and we don't know the age of them, we're supposed to believe they do work. That's not science, is it? No. Real science is on our side, by the way. Oh, interesting thing about meteorites, they're only found in the top few strata layers. Oh, wait a minute. If the universe were younger, there'd be a lot more meteorites floating around in it. And if the layer laid there exposed for millions of years for the next layer, they should have lots of meteorites coming up through the layers, right? But they're only found in the top few. Why? Well, because those sedimentary layers laid down by water were laid down by water in the global flood. And only the top few were exposed for meteorite impact. So these bad dates that they get when they isotope date things are the rule. It's not the exception to the rule, it's the rule. So they'll date a rock over and over until they get a good date, and then they select the good date. Well, what's a good date? It's a date that matches the man-made geologic column or time scale. The isotope dating methods is not where the old earth beliefs come from. They pick dates that match the geologic time scale. Now, this geologic column or time scale was invented in the early 1800s, shortly after George Washington passed away. Back at a time when they thought a cell was a simple gelatin-like glob of substance, so in their minds they could come up with how it might have come about on its own. We'll talk about the impossibility of that tomorrow night. But what they did was they made a drawing with 12 primary layers, and they gave each layer a name, assigned an age to each layer, and assigned index fossils to the layers. Let me ask you a question. Back when modern firearms was a musket, where do they come up with the ages they assign the layers? Well, they made them up. Where else could they have come up with them? And then they assigned index fossils to the layers. Now, index fossils are very important to the old earth beliefs. The index fossil, let's say the, this fish this arrow is pointing to. The index fossil, supposedly, the story is, that creature went extinct while that layer was forming over, of course, millions of years of time. Well, if he went extinct while this layer was forming he wouldn't be found in the younger layers above because he was what? Extinct. So any time an index fossil is found in a layer, everything in the layer is given the age they assigned the geologic column or time scale. For instance, this book tells kids on page 306, we date the rock by the fossils found in it. So the key question is, well, then how do they get the age of the fossil? Oh, it says on page 307, we date the fossil by the rock layer it's found in. 
You date the rock by the fossil and the fossil by the rock. It's a total circular argument based on the geologic column or time scale. For instance, lobe-finned fish were indexed fossils for rock up to 325 million years old, five times as long as they say dinosaurs have been gone. We'll talk about dinosaurs at 5 o'clock tomorrow, by the way. So any layer found with a lobe-finned fish fossil in it was and everything in that layer was dated up to 325 million years old. Except the lobe-finned fish has been found alive in several of today's oceans, not extinct up to 325 million years. And that, my friends, now I, let's be honest, I want to be as fair as possible. I said earlier there's two ways to look at all evidence, correct? So I look at that fish and I say that fish refutes the old earth dating methods. But you could look at the exact same evidence and say that picture of that fish proves that scuba diver is 325 million years old. <laughs> You'll have to take your pick which you want to believe. Now their index fossils are the key to the old earth beliefs. I hope I've made that clear. That's what they date things by. And their index fossils have been showing up alive today by the dozens. We've only explored 10% of the ocean. They're, they're showing up alive today by the dozens. They're showing up alive today so often they, they had to come up with a scientific classification for the index fossils found alive today. They're now called Lazarus Taxon because they've risen from the dead. But they never were extinct. Those sedimentary layers laid down by water were laid down during the global flood recently. And we just hadn't found these living creatures yet today, like the Walimi pine tree. It was an index fossil for rock 150 million years old. It's been found in three different locations in the wild today. And they compared the DNA from each sample, and they're the same. You know, things get mutational losses over time. If they'd been separated for any length of time, appreciable time, the DNA still wouldn't be exactly the same. They now raise these in, in uh, you know, uh, nurseries and things around the globe. Now, so I, I hope I made it clear. The geologic column is really where the old earth beliefs are derived. Did I make that clear? Not from some scientific isotope dating method. They picked the date from the column. Now, this is important to understand because the, the 12 primary layers in the correct order with the corresponding index fossils by which they date them has only been found two places in that order in the entire world. School textbooks and museum displays. Nowhere in the actual real world does the geologic column exist. Even die-hard old earthers only claim it exists in one half of one percent of the Earth's surface. They readily admit it's not there in 99.5% of the Earth's surface. And of the few places I've checked that they claim it exists, you know, there's hundreds of layers out there. Finding 12 lined up isn't the big issue. To be the column, they also have to have the corresponding index fossils, which are not there in those few places. So, the reason it's important to understand that the geologic column is where the old earth beliefs come from, and the geologic column is based on the belief the earth strata formed slowly, this is why they have to deny the global flood as the Bible foretold they would in the last days. Because a global flood would explain how those sedimentary layers of rock laid down by water form quickly, wiping out every old earth belief. So, let's take a look at a global flood theory. 
Well, God had shut Noah and the animals safely on board the ark, like we discussed earlier tonight in our Noah's Ark and Dinosaur message. We'll cover dinosaurs tomorrow. The same day, the fountains of the great deep were broken up, those great underground watering systems. The fountains of the deep erupted. Now, the earth's crust split apart as the fountains were shooting scalding hot waters, muds and magma into the atmosphere, producing torrential rainfalls. This is a map of the fault lines that are found around the globe, like the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, the San Andreas Fault, etc. Did you know that the earth is crisscrossed with about 50,000 miles of these fault lines? I suggest these are most likely scars left over from where the fountains of the deep erupted. From the start of the flood, the landmass began to split apart along where the fountains, those fissures, were erupting. And the upperly exploding waters were eroding the edges of those cracks, producing a muddy flow around the globe. And plants and animals were being drowned and buried quickly in sedimentary layers stratified by water so quickly they didn't have time to rot away or get eaten by scavengers. Things only last a few days and they get scavenged, right? They get eaten, they rot away. They were buried in sedimentary layers to form today's fossil graveyards. You know, we're taught that fossils form over millions of years of time. So let me ask you all a question. Whoever saw a fossil form over millions of years of time? Nobody. That's a religious belief. If I could show you one thing that's fossilized in less than a million years, I've scientifically debunked this, correct? I could show you dozens of things. Here's a water wheel that turned to stone in 65 years just from the minerals in the water running over it. Huh, here's a hat a miner left in a New Zealand mine for about, about 25 years or so. Came back, opened the mine up, and the hat had turned to solid stone. Hey, is 65 years and less, is that the same thing as millions of years? So we've just scientifically debunked that false teaching, correct? You know, the fact of the matter is, things have to be buried quickly to be preserved to be fossils. Like this ichosaur that was buried while giving birth. Obviously, something sudden and catastrophic took place. Well, clams and trilobites are found down in the lowest layers, so Darwinists claim those are the first things to have evolved. Well, wait a minute. They lived at the bottom of the ocean. Wouldn't they be the first things buried? <laughs> of course. You know, trilobites had the most sophisticated eye known with up to 15,000 lenses. They want to claim that was the first thing to have evolved. Do they really want to go there? Anyways, uh, you know, clams, and they lived at the bottom of the ocean. You know, if you, uh, if you try to tell a clam to get out of there, how far could they go? They're a clam, right? Yeah, have you ever tried to talk to a clam? I have. They just clam up on you. You know, you guys are pretty nice. Most people really groan when I say that, and my wife says, don't go there. You know, about 10 years ago in China, they found a fossilized fish in the bottom of the Cambrian layer, which is where Darwinists say there were only single-cell creatures. Well, the fish was only an inch long, about the size of a minnow, but it has a gills, a central nervous system, etc., that Darwinists say didn't evolve for 500 million more years. So did they admit? Yeah, think about the situation here. It had the atheist communist Chinese scientists calling the American scientists closed-minded bigots because they wouldn't even consider the fact 
we just might have been created. In fact, the lead Chinese scientist profoundly observed out of frustration, in China we can criticize Darwin but not the government. In America you can criticize your government but not Darwin. <laughs> what a sad but true situation, right? So we talked about carbon-14 and how the carbon-14 would be gone in measurable amounts in less than 80,000 years. Recent studies have shown that all fossil-bearing layers down to the bottom of the Cambrian that we're told is almost 600 million years old, organic remains have been found in all layers that still have carbon-14 in them. That means all those layers have to be less than 80,000 years old. Oh, and better yet, Remember, carbon-14 decays away over time. The range of amount of carbon-14 in things from the top layer all the way down to the bottom is in the same range of amount. What does that mean? Same age. They all had to form in the same event. There's no way to explain that, my friends, but global flood. And that destroys every old earth belief. And half the church today is spending half their time trying to figure out how to fit old earth, death before Adam beliefs into God's word and blocking my information from getting to the people. Man, I got to tell you how frustrating that can be. I praise God for the handful of God-honoring pastors that will stand firm on God's uncompromised word because, you see, real science is on our side. And it's not just because we're smart, it's because God's word is true. When we compromise God's word, that's our mistake. And when we block the information that shows God's word is true, man, I think we have crossed the line. You know, we talked about dinosaurs earlier. You know, over the last 15 years, more than three dozen non-fossilized dinosaur bones have been discovered that still have red blood cells, amino acids, proteins, soft, flexible tissues in them. Last October, they found dinosaur DNA in some of those remains. Those biological remains could not last more than a few thousand years at most. And last year, they found carbon-14 in dinosaur remains. Carbon-14, my friends. Real science. A believer's best friend. Polystrata fossils are some of my favorite fossils to show people, like these trees. These, some of these trees are upside down. Now, polystrata fossils traverse multiple strata layers. Well, what? We're supposed to believe that a tree turned itself upside down and stood there balanced for millions of years waiting for strata to build up around it? It didn't fall over. It didn't rot away. That doesn't make any sense. But you see, during the global flood, trees got uprooted and floated horizontally on the surface, as you'd expect, but they waterlogged over time with the heavier end floating in the downward position. They call these upright floating logs. Eventually, it would sink to the bottom, where it would stand floating against the bottom in an upright position as the flood laid down layer after layer, forming polystrata fossils. Great proof of the global flood. You know, coal is found in layers. That's the reason they have to, to strip mine coal. They usually have a layer of coal with a strata layer above it, then a layer of coal and a strata layer above it. Now, the, the story that the old earthers teach in school is that 
The, lay, the whole area sank down and water came in forming a swamp and peat filled fell to the bottom, organic debris, and then the whole layer uplifted over, of course, millions of years and the water ran off and the peat just laid there exposed. It didn't rot away. It didn't get struck by lightning and catch on fire or anything. It's like a miracle. And strata built up over it over millions of years and then the whole layer sank and water came in. Anyways, it, they sank and formed coal. It rose and formed strata. Up and down it goes, representing hundreds of millions of years of time. They don't tell kids that most coal is made of plants that don't grow in swamps, by the way. Well, how do they explain branching coal seams? where a branch of coal goes from the, the coal layer below through the strata layer above into the coal layer above it. If they formed over millions of years, differences. Hmm. Well, let's look at it through a biblical perspective. During the flood, massive mats of vegetation were uprooted and they floated together in these mats on the surface. As they floated along with the wind and the tides, they were raining organic debris to the bottom that was being quickly buried by following sediments, forming future coal layers. But eventually the winds or the tides turned and they went back following their previous path, laying down a layer of coal over the following sediment layer forming a future layer of coal but at the point of turn you have branching coal seams connecting the lower layer through the strata layer above into the coal layer above that wow you see it, the biblical view of the world fits like a hand in a glove how do you explain that viably by old earth methods you don't have a viable explanation did you know that uh, coal has never been found? We're told coal is up to 250 million years old. Coal has never been found that does not contain carbon-14, which should be gone in measurable amounts in less than 80,000 years. Now, whirlpools are depositing piles of dead plants and animals, which form today's oil and natural gas deposits and fossil graveyards. Did you guys see this picture on the Internet about two weeks ago? They were claiming, we've discovered two dinosaurs that died while fighting each other. Doesn't it look like they were dead already and deposited together? If some catastrophic event was about to bury them, do you think they'd sit there fighting? Or do you think they would run away? They were obviously already dead, carried by water, and buried in the same location, forming fossil graveyards. Never has an oil deposit or a natural gas deposit been found that does not contain carbon-14. The scalding hot waters led to the Ice Age effects. You know, the hot fountain waters intersected with the cold ocean waters and warmed the oceans up. It's estimated the average temperature of the flood water was about 90 to 100 degrees Fahrenheit which led to massive evaporation and cloud cover that were raining down over the equators and pounding snow onto the poles. Old Earthers teach in school the Ice Age happened during a cooling cycle on Earth. Wouldn't that cool down the oceans? Wouldn't that end evaporation? So how'd the ice get to the poles? It takes warm oceans to form ice caps, my friends. Near the end of the flood, the Earth's fractured plate slid apart violently. We're taught about continental drift and how over millions of years the continents drifted apart. That's based on uniformity prophesied in 2 Peter 3. The Bible says they go up by the mountains, down by the valleys. The waters rush up to the mountains and down in the valleys and slosh back and forth toward the end of the flood. 
I think what happened was the thin layers that were over the fountains of the deep were now over relatively hollow chambers, and the heavy waters were on top, and eventually those thin layers collapsed, forming today's ocean basins and jutting mount mountains upward. Any continental drift took place toward the end of the flood in this massive tectonic event. Tectonic meaning the Earth's plates moving. I live in Flagstaff, Arizona, 7,000 feet above sea level. I can take you out and show you shark's teeth, trilobites, clam fossils. The world's tallest mountains, like Mount Everest, are littered with seashells. They were vaulted there when the mountains arose and the valleys sank down. Textbooks teach you cannot bend rock. You try to bend a piece of rock, a piece of shale, it's going to snap, right? You can't bend rock. Yet we find geologic compression events around the globe where mountain ranges like this, hundreds of feet of finely stratified sedimentary layers laid down by water are squished together like an accordion with up to 160-degree bends in the rock. But the rock's not broken. How do you bend a piece of rock like this and not break it? The old earth teaching is this. The whole mountain range, the whole area was subducted and superheated below the earth's surface and then burnt back up to the surface. And when it was still soft and melted, that's when the folding took place. There's a lot of problems with that. I'll just point out the one obvious one to save time, though. If you superheat sedimentary layers of rock, they metamorphose. And it would then be metamorphic rock. There's still sedimentary layers laid down by water because they were mud at the end of the flood. When the mountains arose and the valley sank down, they got squished together, folding the mud layers that then, in a few years after the flood, hardened into the rock layers we have today. Well, the runoff eroded canyons in the soft sediments. We're told Grand Canyon was dug out by the Colorado River over millions of years. The straight up and down canyon walls, the lack of rock debris, all say it formed quickly and recently. And I cover this in our six-day formation of Grand Canyon like we did yesterday. That's me on the rim teaching on one of our rim tours. I lead Grand Canyon river raft trips through the canyon. Uh, our rim tours are, are the best, trust me. And that's me standing by, with Cedar Butte behind me. I'm right on the edge of the rim. That's on the other side of the canyon. There's Cedar Butte 900 feet above me, 900 feet above the rim. There used to be a mile and a half of stra strata above the rim of Grand Canyon, a mile and a half. And it's been removed from southern Utah to the sea. You know, ask yourself this just logical question. If rivers carve out huge canyons over millions of years, and if the earth is billions of years old, then... Why aren't there millions of Grand Canyons around the globe? Yeah, it, it took a special set of circumstances to form Grand Canyon. The mountains arose, the valley sank down, the Kaibab upwarp lost that mile and a half of strata. It was eroded. The Kaibab upwarp was uplifted. That's it. The white is snow on the uplifted part. It's lifted 4,500 feet around the plain. And the canyon is cut through the upwarp. We think the late flood erosion was flowing in an easterly direction, and it eroded that mile and a half of strata away, leaving behind the Grand Staircase. If you go north from Grand Canyon, you pick up the Vermilion Cliffs, the Zion area, Bryce. That's the Grand Staircase as those layers are picked up. Again, that's me with Cedar Butte right behind me. 
There's a blow up of Cedar Butte. That's 900 foot remnant God left at the eastern entrance to the uh, south rim. On top of those layers, 60 miles north of Grand Canyon, you got the 2,000 foot Vermilion Cliffs. This is the Grand Staircase. On top of those cliffs and 40 miles north, you've got the 2,500 foot gray and white cliffs at Zion. On top of those and 40 miles north, you've got the 2,500 foot tall pink cliffs of Bryce. Bryce, Zion, Vermilion Cliffs, Grand Canyon area, that's the Grand Staircase. The Bible says they go up by the mountains and down by the valleys. The mountains arose and the valley sank down toward the end of the flood. We think during this event, the Rocky Mountains arose, as did the Wasatch Mountains of Utah and the Sierra Madres of, of California. This diverted the easterly flowing water in a southerly direction, where they eroded the scab lands of southern Utah and northern Arizona, dumping out into what is now the Gulf of California. And we cover this in our Grand Staircase tours. These are awesome events where we go to Grand Canyon, Zion, and Bryce, and we do a day of river rafting as well, all based on the biblical interpretation of these areas. These are monuments to the truth and the authority of God's Word. And we'll be doing one together for all of you that, that want to go or they'll go uh, next June. And you can see Pastor Dan uh, or Dan Anderson about that. But I hope you guys will go along. It's going to be an unbelievably great trip. And I, I just want to say one thing quick about it. I know, you know it's expensive to travel. But for an adult, this trip is going to be about $1,800. But that's airfare from here and back. That's your meals, your hotels, everything. I lead the raft trips. A seven-day raft trip would cost $3,500 a person. Plus, you still have to get out there and back. With that, it's going to be $4,000 a person. The raft trip, the Grand Staircase trip is $1,800. And kids, it'll be a little bit less. So just, I just want to throw that out there. I know it's still expensive, but believe me, the price is mind-boggling fantastic. Now, if the strata were laid down in a global flood, we should find sedimentary layers in a mixed-up order around the globe. We should find millions of fossils in those layers that were drowned and buried before they could rot away or get eaten by scavengers. We shouldn't find any missing links of one kind evolving into another. We should find polystrata fossils that traverse multiple strata layers, carbon-14 in the same range of amount from the top layer down to the bottom. We should find carbon-14 in all oil and natural gas deposits and all coal layers and dinosaur remains, etc. And my friends, this is exactly what is found. It's not somewhat what is found. It is exactly what is found. And flood evidence should remind us of God's past and his coming judgments of sin. But more importantly, it should remind us of God's grace and mercy and his provision of salvation which is that one narrow pathway that leads to that one door into that into heaven. And that one door is Jesus Christ. Again, you can check out our, our DVDs. I don't copyright them. If you get them, make all the copies you want. We have, uh, there was a woman in, uh, up in Oregon. She got a copy of or one set of our DVDs, went out and bought a tower copier, and she's given away more than 300 complete sets. 
Because of her effort, it's even gotten into the local schools in La Grande, Oregon, and I've spoken in 10 different churches there because of her effort. In fact, we're talking about going back next February where I'm going to speak in some churches and at the local college. Our, our coloring books are really information and coloring books designed to teach our Christian heritage and also the foundations of the Bible, the creation, the corruption, the separation, and the need for redemption. And my book, It's About Time, covers the top ten old earth beliefs, including radiometric dating, Grand Canyon, Grand Staircase, dinosaurs, and the top ten Darwinian beliefs. And I get, I get fairly into some good information. You know, neo-Darwinism is taught today. We'll talk about that tomorrow. I even co uh, cover the top mutational uh, claims, the Hox gene mutations, the framework, uh, sh frame shift mutations, insertions, deletions, uh, pseudogenes, etc. I do this in, in just a few pages. It's not some long, drawn-out thing. It's boom, it's brief, it's to the point. I write like I talk. I want people to understand what we're talking about. Let me just end with this. Let's be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. My friends, no, you can put your trust in the non-compromised word of God, word for word and cover to cover. Let me end with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this evening. And I thank you for Pastor Dan and his willingness to stand on your, your uncompromised, your non-compromised word, word for word and cover to cover. I hope and I pray the information we've shared tonight and that we will share tomorrow night will be eye-opening and faith-building, letting us all know that we can trust in your word, your word who became flesh and dwelt among us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his great name that I do pray. Amen.